Live from the Merck Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me uh, back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app. At KBLA 1580, download the app and listen to us live anywhere in the world, but only by downloading our app right now at KBLA 1580. Let me also uh, let you know that if you uh, uh, miss us any day in real time on the app, you can check out the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure by going to the app, uh, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast once again and listen when you want to tune in. Uh, by checking out our podcast. You can also watch the live stream of this program right now by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another good show on tap for you today in our second hour. Can we draw connections between the struggles faced by enslaved women in the antebellum era And the ongoing fight for equality black women are yet waging today. Moreover, what are the dangers of today's jurisprudence reproducing slavery era ideas relative to black women? We'll talk about it in hour two with Cornell University professor and author Dr. Tamika Y. Nunley. In our third hour, the next battle over colorblindness has begun. According to University of Chicago law professor Sonia B. Starr, who authored a provocative piece for the New York Times just yesterday. And we will talk to her today about her piece and her views on this next battle over colorblindness already being underway. We'll do that today in hour three. But in this first hour, two more conversations on the B side of this hour, just in time for Major League Baseball's All-Star Game tonight in Seattle. A conversation with filmmaker Sam Pollard about his newest documentary called The League, which tells the story of the Negro League and how it revolutionized the game of baseball. That's on the backside of this hour. But we commence today's show celebrating the 10th anniversary of Black Lives Matter this week. Each day this week, we're talking to some amazing guests about the impact of Black Lives Matter 10 years in. I am pleased to be joined now by Nakima Levy-Armstrong, Minneapolis-based civil rights attorney, champion for social justice and executive director of the Wayfinder Foundation. Nakima Levy-Armstrong, welcome back to KBLA. How are you today? I'm good, Tavis. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, your 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 friend and colleague and sister, Melina Abdullah, just walked out of the studio on Dominique's program, uh, and so we are we're spending a lot of time on uh, this station this week talking about Black Lives Matter. Ten years later, getting all kinds of perspectives uh, because you are Minneapolis-based as opposed to Melina based here in Los Angeles. Uh, you have your own unique take uh, on this. We all know, of course. Uh, that Minneapolis was the site of the murder of George Floyd and all that ensued uh, after um, that uh, horrific incident. And so, as I said a moment ago, we're having guests on every day this week uh, talking about Black Lives Matter 10 years in. And I'm pleased to have you uh, on this program once again. Let let me just ask you, uh, given what I said a moment ago, 
Uh, how do you think your perspective is uniquely different than perhaps others in the BL, BLM movement around the country because, in fact, you are based in Minneapolis where George Floyd was murdered and where we all saw just weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, the FBI report, the uh, Justice Department report, rather, on how horrible the police department has been uh, perennially in the city of Minneapolis. But my point is, my question rather is, what, what makes your perspective so unique, you think, being in Minneapolis? Well, as you just mentioned, Tavis, we were, of course, the place where George Floyd was brutally killed at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department. And I think what folks who live outside of Minneapolis or outside of Minnesota maybe weren't aware of is the fact that we have been marching and demonstrating and fighting for justice for many, many years. As a matter of fact, our first a uh, major demonstration happened after uh, Trayvon Martin was killed. And um, we know that George Zimmerman was acquitted in that situation. And then our movement really began after the uprising that happened in Ferguson, Missouri, after the police murder of Mike Brown in August of 2014. So we have been very consistent, boots on the ground, raising our voices, mobilizing people and organizing. And we've had a lot of uh, what I would call wins along the way in terms of being able to uproot various elected officials, police chiefs, uh, people in high places over the years because of the issue of uh, police violence and the lack of police accountability. So I think that's what makes us unique. Um, also, Minnesota is about 82% white, mm -hmm. um, which means that here, a lot of the folks who march with us are actually white allies who care about racial justice. So our dynamics are a little different because our population is smaller. Um, but we're also persistent. You know, Minnesota is extremely cold in the winter. Uh, we have, you know, sometimes we have blizzards. We have uh, temperatures below zero. And guess what? Even in those temperatures, we have still been out there marching and demonstrating and holding elected officials accountable. So I think that those are some of the things that make us unique. Yeah, it's um, it's it's quite a it's quite a unique place. Uh, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I've been there many, many times. Uh, again, um, some of us were just gobsmacked um, when we saw that Department of Justice report about how horrible this police department has been. Uh, beyond the murder of George Floyd, as if that wasn't enough. But there's so much backstory to this police department. And BLM, uh, how can I put this? BLM uh, had a moment, a major moment, uh, when they, uh, you know, just aggressively uh, forced this issue uh, in the city of Minneapolis and, and, and for that matter, around the globe. Um, the phrase Black Lives Matter resonated in ways that it had not prior to uh, the murder of George Floyd three years ago. Uh, we are celebrating all week long here the 10th anniversary of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and again, every day this week, we're talking to different guests about their take on this organization 10 years in. Um, uh, successful? Yes. Accomplished? Yes. Controversial? Yes. All of that and then some. Our guest in this hour is Nakima, uh, Nakima Levy-Armstrong. We'll get back to her when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Conversations that matter. matter.
You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Nikima Levy-Armstrong is our guest uh, in this first half hour of today's program as we talk about Black Lives Matter 10 years in. And I don't need the color to question much more than that. Nikima, give me your take on BLM 10 years in. Did you say give? give yeah, 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 give, give me your, your take, take on, on Black Lives Matter 10 years in, yes. Well, I think that Black Lives Matter has been incredibly successful. It has been seen as one of the largest mass movements in history, especially in the aftermath of George Floyd being killed, where literally millions of folks around the world took to the streets demanding justice for George Floyd, demanding justice for all stolen lives, and also pushing for change within their various jurisdictions. As a matter of fact, the uprising that we recently saw in France in the aftermath of a young man of color being killed by police and people taking to the streets, I believe is a reflection of the work of the Black Lives Matter movement with regard to raising awareness, uh, with regard to reminding people that you have a voice and you have a responsibility to use your voice when you see injustice. And the fact that we've been able to demonstrate that as people are persistent, as they take to the streets, as they go into the halls of power, that we can affect change. Sadly, sometimes change is taking far, far too long. But again, we have been able to see some changes happen, not only in our city and in our state, but in other places around the country. We still have a long way to go. And I would say other aspects of the movement that we have to be mindful of is the fact that any time throughout American history where you have seen black people in particular rise up, there, are all, there have always been forces that have tried to rise up and shut down the work, the labor, the ingenuity, and the persistence of black folks in fighting for their liberation. We look at the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Panther Party, and so many other movements throughout our history. It's the same playbook each and every time. And I feel that that's one of the things that the Black Lives Matter movement is up against now. But we have to keep our eyes open and stay vigilant and understand that, sadly, attacking a movement like this it's par for the course in mm. American history. Mm. There's a few things that you said um, that I want to um, kind of interrogate. Uh, let me start with with this. Um, you mentioned the civil rights movement. And indeed, as we all know, during the movement, there was government infiltration. There's been all kind of evidence that I could point to um, over the last 10 years of um, a, a number of entities trying to infiltrate Black Lives Matter. Uh, what's your read on that? Well, I think that it should let folks know that our movement is considered to be dangerous to democracy, even though we know that it's not. I remember that one of the original founders of the BLM movement wrote a book uh, called When They Call You a Terrorist mm -hmm. because of the fact that black folks who stand up for their rights are considered to be enemies of the state. And we saw that with Dr. King, someone who we now celebrate uh, at least on an annual basis. We um, dissect his writings. We use his words. But we forget about the fact that his phone was tapped 
that he was constantly under scrutiny and being threatened by the FBI and the powers that be, and that they did everything in their power to try to silence him and to shut down the, move, the, the movement for civil rights in this country. And it's a really sad that in 2023, we're still dealing with the same thing. There have been articles that have come out that have talked about the government's role in trying to infiltrate the Black Lives Matter movement, as you just said, Tavis. Mm-hmm. And we also know that many of us have been labeled as Black identity extremists. I, I believe if we were to pull back the curtain in many of these cities, that there would be files on many of us who have advocated for justice. Mm. Um, what, what, I'm, 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 I'm pausing here only because I want to phrase this the right way. What do you make of the fact that the government continues to do this? Um, it's not just the civil rights movement. We could go to the Black Panther Party, COINTELPRO. Um, this is nothing new. Uh, And yet it continues unabated where the government, uh, feels threatened by a particular entity or organization uh, and again, we, we, you look up and there's, there's all kind of evidence that suggests that they're trying to infiltrate. Um, what, 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 what's your take on why, and I'm not naive in asking this, what's your take though on why that continues to happen? This, this line, uh, through all of our, uh, protests, uh, over centuries, um, it, it's, it's still as real as rain. Well, I think the sad part is with all of the challenges with the system of policing in this country, that there are still forces within our government and within society that want to keep things the same. And they will go to great lengths, um, including surveilling people, uh, putting out false information, and even murdering people, as we've seen with some of our greatest leaders throughout our history, uh, that they will go to those lengths to try to silence us as a people. We know that we are not living our best lives collectively as black Americans. When you look at the disparities, when you look at the fact that we still have not received reparations for the abuse and brutality and degradation and denial of opportunities that we suffered um, as a result of the institution of slavery, excuse me, the Jim Crow system, and all of the laws and policies that have been put in place over the years to deny our rights as a people. And so we have to be knowledgeable about the fact that these forces exist, that they will go to extreme lengths to try to silence us. And yet in the spirit of our ancestors, we still have to find a way to stand up and fight back and not allow these things to continue to happen even though we are up against a very dangerous system. I was thinking last night about Occupy Wall Street, uh, and they were also subject to government infiltration some years ago. Um, Clearly, uh, um, Occupy Wall Street did not survive 10 years, as has Black Lives Matter. Um, But one of the similarities between Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter is that um, neither of these organizations, entities, um, decided to have uh, or elected to have a particular person leading the organization. There is no titular head, if you will, of Black Lives Matter, just as there wasn't for Occupy Wall Street. 
I could argue that both ways. And there was great debate about this when Occupy Wall Street sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, faltered and, and, and ended. And part of the conversation you may recall, Nakima, was whether or not they ended because they didn't have the kind of leadership structure that might have sustained it. Again, I underscore the fact that BLM does not have a leader. It does not have a titular head, and yet it survived 10 years. Um, how do you read um, the, the the leadership conversation, if you will, uh, about BLM? Well, I know that when I became a part of the movement and I was working with young folks and we had launched um, a BLM chapter here, in, in 2014, and I assisted those young folks during that time, mm-hmm. one of the things that they communicated to me was that we're a leader-full movement, mm-hmm. right? Instead of a leaderless movement, they called it leader-full, which meant that there are a variety of leaders within the organization, but not a central figure, as you just articulated. And so that kind of challenged the paradigm in my mind in terms of thinking about folks like Dr. King, Mm -hmm. Malcolm X, very identifiable leaders of a movement, even the the leaders of the Black Panther Party. And the rationale that was told to me um, on why we were a leader-full movement as opposed to a one-central leader was because of the targeting that has happened throughout the years Mm. against identifiable leaders of black movement. Mm-hmm. The young folks looked at the series of assassinations, um, actual physical assassinations, as, a, as well as character assassinations, and they decided that they didn't want that particular structure for this movement. And I can understand why. And, of course, some people are opposed to that. They want to see one leader, um, typically of an organization, And I understand why, because there's someone you can point at, there's someone you can target, there's one person you can hold accountable if you don't like what they're doing. But we have seen, again, how easy it has been for the government to take down one leader and then to literally shut the door on an entire movement. Think about what happened in the aftermath of Dr. King being assassinated and how it literally took the steam out of the civil rights movement. And despite folks' best efforts to keep the movement alive, at that point, it essentially went underground, if you will. I don't think it died, but it went underground. And I think the Black Lives Matter movement was able to pick up those embers that were left behind and breathe new life into the movement of the 21st century. Yeah. Um, one of the other issues, and again, when you talk about an organization that's uh, survived 10 years, you have to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Talk about all of it if you want to be earnest and transparent as we attempt to be here uh, on this program and on this station. Um, and again, here's another through line. With every black organization uh, that's engaged in protest against systems and structures, there are always issues raised about their fiscal solvency. Uh, about uh, about the way they manage their money. The same has happened to BLM. It happened to Dr. King. It happened to SCLC. They tried to get King individually, as you know, on tax evasion. Uh, same thing happened in the Black Panthers. I can think of uh, no organization, uh, again, that's engaged in protest that, that, that does not at some point in time, not just organizations, but leaders themselves, as I mentioned, King being chief among them, who at some point don't have to answer a bunch of questions about fiscal issues, and certainly BLM has had its 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 share of bad press about fiscal matters, but people use those questions or the, that bad behavior 
by some bad apples in a particular organization to dismiss the work overall of the organization. That's a mouthful, but your response to that. Well, that's what we've seen happening, unfortunately, with the Black Lives Matter movement. The issues that arose in the aftermath of of George Floyd being killed and literally tens of millions of dollars coming into the organization and there not being an infrastructure to properly handle such a significant influx of cash Mm -hmm. has had an impact on uh, BLM's reputation which I think is unfortunate because the reality is that many BLM chapters around the country don't receive funding, Mm -hmm. have not received funding or have received very little funding, but have put in the work to fight for police accountability and more transparency amongst those in elected positions. So I think it's a travesty of justice that an entire movement has had to suffer as a result of people's perceptions of things that um, happened that were beyond many of the activist control um, in the movement. But what we've noticed is no one has been um, arrested. Um, There hasn't been any concrete evidence of um, any uh, illegal or criminal activity, at least as far as I've seen. Um, But yet folks have run with a narrative a false narrative in some respects, and have used that to cast aspersions against one of, if not the largest mass movement in American history. Let me close with this in the 90 seconds I have left. Um, You kind of mentioned this earlier in our our dialogue, and that is the worldwide impact um, that BLM has had. It's still, you know, shocking to me. I get goosebumps when I think about the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd and all around the world, seeing BLM signs everywhere. Um, how did that make you feel? I'm just honestly blown away. Mm-hmm. I knew that the work of the people in the past, um, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, so many others um, who fought for civil rights uh, was vitally important. And I, of course, I read about those things, mm-hmm. but being a part of the movement and seeing the movement has opened my eyes in a new way to understand the challenges and the opportunities that come along with standing up and fighting for our freedom and refusing to go along with the status quo. Yeah. I believe that those opportunities to stand up and fight are still there. And we have to take advantage of them. No, no, no question about that. The struggle continues uh, as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of Black Lives Matter. If you are in the Los Angeles area or or, or want to come to L.A. this weekend, it's a great time to come. The weather's good. Um, Black Lives Matter turns 10, and this weekend is the People's Justice Festival in Lamert Park, adjacent to this studio this Saturday from 12 to 6 p.m. We'll be outside all day celebrating a BLM's 10th anniversary. Uh, there are performances. There are giveaways. There are as a children's village. There are vendors, healing justice space, all kind of things, including a number of great speakers, uh, Cornell West, Green Party presidential candidate, uh, takes the stage at about 4.30, uh, among others. And so it's going to be a great celebration this weekend of BLM's 10th anniversary. Uh, and Nikema Levy-Armstrong has been a part of that over the last decade. And we thank you, Nikema, for your work and witness. And good to have you back on this program. Thank you, Tavis. Thank you for your support. And thank you for having me. My great delight. We'll do it again. Uh, more of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. 
Be sure to like and follow Tavis Smiley at The Real Tavis Smiley. And get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues when we come forward. Forward. forward.